With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. When I'm performing a scene that I'm playing all the parts in, I sort of feel it and hear it like a song. Like I know the emotional arc. It's like being so familiar with the melody that I can hear it in my head when I'm, you know, harmonizing. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Ramon Alam. Ramon, I am very excited to hear your conversation with writer-performer Cole Escola. But first, in any other year, I would be wishing you a happy Pride right now, but this is such a weird and tumultuous year that it feels weird to wish anyone a happy anything. How are things in your household right now? June, I think it's an act of defiance to seize joy. So I will accept your happy pride and say right back at you. I think these are such times of tumult, as you say, um, and I've been trying to find silver linings without feeling like I'm being a a delusional optimist, you know? (laughs) So I'll tell you this. Last weekend, my husband and I took our sons to a Black Lives Matter march for families, and I found it deeply moving and really encouraging. So that was kind of a spot of joy amid all of the chaos and sort of uncertainty of this moment. Yeah, I have not gone to any protests. My partner is in a high risk for COVID, so I've kind of avoided the crowds. Um, But we found ourselves by accident on the edge of one of those family protests last Sunday. And it filled me with hope, too. It was I was really impressed with the homemade signs, but I also just like it was a great vibe and a great crowd. And it was quite positive. I think we've all been missing community in our own ways. And I think um, being in community again feels kind of bracing, especially when it's a bunch of nine-year-olds holding (laughs) angry signs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, for our listeners who are not familiar with Cola Scola, who is he? Speaking of resting joy from the universe, Cole Escola is an actor, a performer, a comedian. He's someone who's been in shows like Difficult People, um, and he is currently on a show called At Home with Amy Sedaris, which is really funny and totally bonkers. I follow Cole on Twitter and on Instagram, and so I had seen there on social media that Cole Escola had released a special called Help, I'm Stuck. And it was kind of a gift to his fans to bring some laugh to this unfunny period of quarantine. And I watched it one evening and I laughed because you cannot help but laugh. Cole is just a really funny guy. Um, I fell into this hole of watching all of Cole's YouTube videos and just laughing until I was an absolute mess. And you know what? (laughs) It really felt so good. I I believe it. Now, his... Twitter account was recently suspended when he tweeted as New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. The tweets were pitched at the perfect de Blasian level of cluelessness and obliviousness, 
but his obvious political satire was deemed to be against Twitter's rules. So you can't read Cole Escola on Twitter right now, but fortunately you can still hear him on Slate. So let's listen. This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I know your work from the internet. You know, you've been sharing um, videos online for, it looks like for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering how it is you came to that form of sort of the internet video and what it was that sort of first landed you there. Well, I I had always been doing movies. And so then I decided, you know what, this is, this is too much money. No, I, um, I started making videos with uh, my friend Jeffrey Self. I was um, working at a bakery. I thought maybe I wanted to be a pastry chef. I didn't really think that. I just, I liked um, Barefoot Contessa. And I was like, maybe that's what I want to do. And speaking of working, that's when I was doing um, sex work as well. So performing was like uh, for fun, I guess. So not for work, really, just something you were doing creatively? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to perform, but I when I got here, it was sort of like, oh, I think I'm just a gay guy who loves attention, and I don't know that that's enough to qualify for, like, talent. Because sort of like the only paths that I saw when I moved here was, like, theater actor paths. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to do Shaw. Like, that's not... So I guess I'm not an actor. But when I was uh, a kid, I, I my grandmother had a, a video camera and I um, I would take it from her and I made movies constantly. So when you arrived in New York and you were in your <laughs> 20s, I guess? Yeah, yeah. And you and Jeffrey Self, who's also an actor and performer, you guys would get together that was really just an extension of that same kind of play that you would have been doing when you were a teen at home? Yeah, we were, um, we made some videos that went, like, somewhat viral, at least in, like, you know, gay blog circles. And we actually, we called ourselves VGL Gay Boys um, on YouTube. Which is also, that was, right. Yeah, that was a Craigslist term for the men men seeking men section like um that was to get more views like 
that was think, like do you think it actually worked advertising yourself as Fiji all gay boys yeah yeah but this it's so weird how fast everything has moved because when we started it was like 2006 2007 and like youtube videos now look so polished and well lit but at the time it was just like the little fish islands of our macbook right was yeah. your interest was never in kind of replicating the production value of like a polished production value i mean those early videos right. you see like some one of you has drawn the titles on like a piece of yellow paper and is holding it yeah. up to the camera and that wasn't like it wasn't intentional there is an aspect to it even still where i feel like i forget that it's lo-fi until people comment on it like in my mind i'm still like in my imagination like oh yes this is a multi-million dollar budgeted <laughs> movie and i'm you know and this wig and this costume are incredible. Right. And then people right. comment like, uh, LOL, that busted wig. And I'm like, oh, I guess, yeah, it is sort of busted. But lo-fi or not, those early videos did get you an audience with yeah. logo television. right? Yeah, they came to see um, one of our live shows at Joe's Pub. And they offered us a... Um, a deal to do like vlogs for their website like half hour weekly vlogs but we turned in what ended up being our sketch show because we thought well this will be boring if it's just us talking to camera for half an hour mm -hmm. we turned in like our version of a sketch show and they were like we love it we're gonna put it on the air um so it wasn't even intended to go on television but then they put it on Fridays at midnight. And, yeah. <laughs> and that, so that show is called Jeffrey and Cole Casserole. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And um, it is a sketch show. I mean, it's exactly mm -hmm. as you described it. It's a sketch sure. show with the sort of like very lo-fi, very, very lo subtitles and things like that. Yeah. Were you and Jeffrey, I mean, when you're collaborating, that's obviously like two points of view, two aesthetic points of view. But mm -hmm. were you were you thinking about things that you had loved in your youth? Were you thinking about, like, The Kids in the Hall or Saturday Night Live or Monty Python? Or were you thinking about some other cultural touchstone altogether? It was, it's one of those um, relationships where it's like, where we're just, like, in our own world. We are both on the same page, and it's a page that everybody else is not. On. Like, I, I feel a similar way when I'm around um, John Early and Kate Berlant. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, they have a language to themselves. And, like, it, it's just amazing to watch that. Mm -hmm. um, we more connected over, like, uh, growing up on sitcoms and um, and things like that. Is the goal, then, to kind of make yourselves laugh? Yeah, yeah. That was all we did was uh, when we made Jeffrey and Cole Casserole. It was just, like, making each other laugh. It's funny because it reminds me of... my. I have two little boys, and they... Like, we are such, like, fussy, yuppie parents, and we really control mm -hmm. all of their, like, media intake. Mm -hmm. And somehow they understand the language of like podcast and so a lot oh. of times when they play they're kind of reenacting podcasts like might they'll be like 
hey, it's Simon, and I'm here with my favorite Lego toy. <laughs> and it's so weird because it's like, who are you talking to and what are you yeah. performing? And why is that interesting to you? But it's like, it's because it's a thing that they love, even though they don't mm-hmm. really know what it is. And it yeah. seems like that's kind of what you were doing on on Jeffrey and Cole Kessler, but it also seems like that's what you do in a lot of your videos. Yeah, that, yeah. You know? So I'm curious because... You you know I I just asked you if like the point was to make yourselves laugh and yes. and that is the point and it is funny like what you do is very funny but like sometimes I think the humor or the ex- the audience experience of the humor can obscure the labor behind it and mm-hmm. when we first started talking you described yourselves as a yourself as a writer performer and I guess like sometimes the writing is not visible because the audience mm-hmm. is only experiencing the performance. Yeah. So when you take, when you begin with the germ of an idea, how do you turn that into a sketch? I mean, it, there's no like real um, formula. Like I have a few, um, like one tool that I use a lot is music. Like if I have sort of like a, a kernel of an idea or like, it can be something as small as a gesture or um, a funny way to pronounce one word. And it's like, oh, that's sort of Tennessee Williams-ish. And then to sort of um, bring out more ideas in that same vein, I'll listen to music that's sort of evocative. Like a lot of the music that I listen to for fun is like, music that could possibly underscore a play or a movie that I I guess is the most um, consistently used tool. I'll write things down um, in like a a Gmail draft. Uh So like all of my drafts, there's like hundreds of, of emails that I can't even decipher anymore that are like, that are like, what couch? So, and I'm like, wait, what was that idea? Are you concerned about like performing specific words and getting the language exactly right? Or are you more of a performer who likes to improvise towards an idea? I'm actually pretty word focused. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, like sometimes you do capture this feeling that you're only improvising because the the performance mm -hmm. can feel very fresh and it feels like you're just sort of like, and also because it's so absurd and sometimes the language or the logic shifts and it's like, oh, he must have just made that up because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. There have been times when I've been frustrated, like in, in like trying to get other writing jobs and people being like, but can he write? Like, and I'm like, uh, what do you think? I'm? Where do you think these words come from? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's like a particular challenge with the kind of video work that you've done or that your sort of your career began because so in the years since you and Jeffrey launched the show, you have gone on to pretty conventional acting success. You were on difficult people. You are on at home with Amy Sedaris right now, Mm -hmm. but you still do this very intimate and like live performance and video performance. And it's so much about you as a physical being. It's about Mm -hmm. like you and your face and your body and your like very specific aesthetic point of view that I can see how that would obscure the labor that goes into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People don't realize that I can write for other people as well. 
Yeah. Um, which I, I don't like, um, I, I don't resent that. Like a, a lot of performers are really great at writing for themselves, but when it comes to like writing a script for a spec script for Modern Family, it's like, what? Yeah. But I think that I'm um, actually, I'm good at that sort of thing. You recently released this special called Help, I'm Stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and Help, I'm Stuck is a long, a pretty long piece. It's almost an hour. Yeah. It's a collection yeah. of sketches. I'm assuming that it's something that you created and filmed during quarantine. Yes, yes. So how, I mean, I know we're all stuck at home, and I know yeah. like most of us don't really have anything to do, but yeah. how long did it take you to do that? Um... Maybe maybe like two and a half weeks. I mean, almost everything from that special is stuff that I've worked on various, uh, at various points over the past couple years. Like, a lot of my friends have been like, oh my god, I, you're so productive. But um, the writing of all of it had already been done and like changed and edited and sort of fine-tuned. Um, yeah. But it's still a kind of incredible leap to do all of that work solo and i think so right (laughs) you should be proud of yourself like i mean i I know you're accustomed to like this sort of experimenting and playing around with the camera and sort of fooling around in friends homes and things like that but like to do all of that work yourself to perform to film yourself and to dress yourself and to like my makeup and sets and costumes and wigs like i had to learn how to do it all We'll be back with more of Roman's conversation with writer-performer Cole Escola. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. One of the things we'd love to do with this show is help solve your creative problems, whether it's a specific challenge about your work or a big question about inspiration and discipline, send them to us at working at slate.com. If and when we can, we'll put those questions to our esteemed guests. Welcome back to Working. I'm June Thomas. Now back to Roman's conversation with Cole Escola. One of the things that really I think is like the most sort of technically accomplished in Help I'm Stuck is the way that you perform against yourself. Oh. One of the sketches is a kind of pastiche or parody of noir film and you are playing a character and then you're also playing that character's assistant and we get to hear you performing against yourself. It was raining. It was always raining. My assistant was early, which meant he was on time, which meant you're late. I know, and I'm sorry, Jennifer. It's Jennifer. That's Ms. Convertibles to you. I'm sorry, Miss Convertibles. It's just 
My mom was in a car accident this morning and they don't think she's going to... I'm sorry, I've got too much on my mind to laugh about that right now. How do you do that? When I'm performing a scene that I'm playing all the parts in, I sort of feel it and hear it like a song. Like I know the emotional arc, especially because I've been doing the material like for so long. Like I know the um, the journey of, of the pieces so I can do them sort of piecemeal. It's still impressive because I think a lot of times like, you know, you'll see just to go back to like the great sitcom performances, you'll see like a character on the phone getting terrible news. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes like her director or someone else is on that line saying like giving her something to work against. Right. And when you're shooting in your apartment by yourself, you don't even have the ability to do that. It's like you're describing singing a harmony, but only like just, but not being able to hear anyone else's part or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being so familiar with the melody that I, I can hear it in my head when I'm, you know, harmonizing, if that makes sense. I wonder how you would describe your sensibility. Gay. <laughs> Gay. Absurd. So who are the godparents of your sensibility? I mean, I, I, I think it really is um, sitcoms like that. But it's, it's funny that you would describe that sensibility as gay when the sitcom is such a tool of, like, of convention, of nuclear family convention. I think that's why uh, the the gay comes into it, is that it's like, um, my gay eye picked up that something was off about what I was seeing. And so, and then, like, performing it the way that I see it then reflects I, I don't know the the absurdity of of the sitcom that I'm referencing do you think it's fair to say or do you feel a kinship to John Waters um absolutely yeah he's someone that I didn't come to until like later um mm-hmm. when I was in high school and stuff but um certainly um the self-motivated aspects of of his work and stuff. I guess when you describe the aesthetic or the sensibility as gay, I'm curious to hear what that means to you or what how you might explain that, especially to someone who's not gay. Like, how do you account for that? Who's not gay <laughs> anymore? Um, I, I hear there are some out there. Yeah, well, I... I um, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot uh, in terms of like queer content versus content with a queer sensibility, like I don't want to like uh, it's, it's so obvious to like throw something like Love Simon under the bus and be like ew, um, but I, I I don't have any ha- strong feelings for Love Simon either way. But um, Justin is as an example, like that's a. a gay story for a straight audience like it's very much through a straight lens like trying to explain like this is what the gay experience is um versus like i think what i'm interested in is like the queer shorthand that's already established somehow 
through a, a like shared experience of growing up queer and out, like outside. Does that make sense? I think it does because, and I think it's sort of again. I think John Waters is kind of representative because I don't think. I don't think that John Waters would even say that he was, I mean, he may have been the first to kind of get that stuff on film and present it cinematically, but Mm -hmm. I think it's still a point of view or a way of thinking about the world that is older than John Waters is. Yeah. It's just a sort of, it's sort of a slanted perspective Mm -hmm. on the world where everything is a little twisted because that is how gay people have to, navigate a world that they didn't design or I'm not really sure why one theory that I have is that it's like growing up um uh, like a, a a fag not just gay but a fag um I think I we look for um conventions so that we can adhere to them you know like oh wait what are the rules of how to behave and like what's okay for like a boy to do and what's not okay for a boy to do and so that hyper awareness um you amass this whole catalog of conventions and so it's easier to make fun of them because you have this whole rolodex in your head of like conventions i wonder if straight people don't think that's funny i wonder if they just think that's how the world is maybe how sad we'll never know yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) You often in your performances play women. And mm-hmm. I was trying to think about this last night. I wondered whether you consider that drag in the way that we typically understand that because in a weird way, I don't because I think of drag or sort of like the tenets of drag as being that it's sort of outsized or camp or deliberately really broad. And mm-hmm. I feel like your performance is often really straightforward like in mm-hmm. you have a great a great little video called Mom Commercial. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny. I just want to take a second to listen to it right now. I'm a mom. Boys, breakfast. That means my kids come first. Oh, Katie, don't forget your <laughs> lunch. But sometimes between packing lunches and rides to soccer practice, things slip through the cracks. Important things like nutrition. For instance, did you know that one glass of the leading brand of orange juice contains twice the amount of sugar your kids should be getting in a day? When I found that out, I, um, I fucking lost it. I mean, (laughs) I had been giving my kids leading brand orange juice their whole lives. I thought, my God, if I'm capable of that, what else am I capable of? So I panicked. It's obviously Mm -hmm. hilarious, but it's also this performance of gender that's not mm-hmm. your own, that's really respectful or really naturalistic. And so yeah. it's you're a man playing a woman, but the joke is not that you're a man playing a woman. Yeah, I um, I don't really think about it. And um, I don't consider what I do drag just because I feel like that's um, insulting to real drag performers that um, study, like just i mean makeup alone let you know let alone like the the wigs and the the performance of it um like i love drag i'm a i'm a big drag fan but i feel more like an actress i guess one of the few of your sketches that felt like i could show that to my children <laughs> is the goblin commuter of hoboken mm-hmm. and 
you are playing exactly what that sounds like, a goblin who commutes in Mm -hmm. from Hoboken and your face is painted green and you're wearing like a skirt set, like a skirt suit. And you're playing a goblin and not a woman, but it's also a woman. And so we were watching it, my husband and the kids and I were watching it and we were like dying laughing. And my husband said, he's so funny. And my older son said, oh, wait, that's a, that's a man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, he's pretending to be both a woman and a goblin. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's sort of, like, what's sort of remarkable about the performance. And I know that why that gave him pause, because it's, like, it's so naturalistically is what that is. And it's so mm-hmm. different from when, even when you see Divine on screen in those John Waters movies, you know that, like, she is aware of how funny it is that she's just pretending to be a housewife. Yeah. Yeah. I guess then it, it becomes a question about, um, like, me and how I identify and how I feel and see my gender, which is... Um, I Well, when I was a kid, I had two friends, and we um, we called ourselves the It's. Like, we weren't boys and we weren't girls. And so I feel like, I mean, that was before I even knew what non-binary was. Um, And, yeah, I I, I guess I just don't even, I don't even think about it. Like, I don't think, okay, now I'm, like, now I'm playing a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm drawn to female characters because I... um, I identify more with females than I do with males. And also um, there are more conventions put on females that are fun to play and play up than there are males, if that makes sense. It does make sense. But you're also, I would point out, I guess, that you're also adept at kind of skewering more conventional modes of, masculine performance like there's another video where you play a kind of piece of trade performing for like a lascivious camera person yeah and it feels like you're about to perform a sex act yeah and then you start singing a show tune yeah yeah so you're still you're also capable of like doing this sort of like masculine performance that feels i mean that's like one like (laughs) like i basically have one straight guy impression and And it's just like and that's it yeah yeah and then like maybe like varying degrees of that one note but that's about it yeah i I think men are so boring that's fair yeah that's fair (laughs) um i wonder why or i wonder if you have an answer for why you often perform undressed um for a couple reasons. One is, uh, I think I started doing it because I needed, it was like an immediate laugh. It was an easy laugh and it, like, okay, I walk out of my underwear and people are already paying attention and thinking it's funny. Um, uh, and then also, so that I can change quick, like in my live shows, mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of costume changes and mm-hmm. like, yeah. So it's so like a then, logistical thing. Yeah. But it also seems like there's, beyond the laugh and beyond the logistics of being able to slip into a complicated dress, it feels like 
a very specific kind of provocation. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it goes back to what you were saying before about your own identity and your own Mm -hmm. sense of gender and your own sense of like the distinction between Cole, the human being who's sitting at home trying to think of something funny and Cole, the person who shows up on stage or on camera and does something to make everybody laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, showing up in your underwear in those contexts is, is the inverse of showing up with fake boobs and a dress and a wig and makeup. Like there's nowhere yeah. for you to hide. And is that important to you as a performer to get to that place of just like, here I am? Um, no. No? <laughs> no, because I don't see it that way. Like when I um, walk out on stage in my underwear, in my head, I, I, I'm, you know, Meryl Streep at her AFI award <laughs> ceremony. Like I don't, I don't feel naked. I feel um, it's uh, it's actually more of an armor, like a distraction. Like if I come out in my underwear, people aren't really seeing me. They're seeing this person in their underwear. Mm-hmm. It's funny though, I, because yeah. it, it, it's sort of, you're so physically laid bare, but in a weird way, hearing you talk about it, you you still possess all of the power in that equation because you don't seem to give a shit. Right. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. But again, I, I feel like it is more of a, like nudity as a mask. That's mm-hmm. my, uh, that's going to be my college course. Um, <laughs> my Doctor, lecture. Dr. Escola's yeah. lectures yeah. on nudity. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that made me think of John Waters is there's a lot of, um, you seem to like this kind of really vulgar, really sort of absurd or like poop joke kind of mm-hmm. aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And in Help I'm Stuck, you appear to camera kind of introducing the segments. Mm-hmm. And throughout the piece, when you show up to camera, you have some brown stuff smeared all over your face. It's chocolate. It's chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Well, but y- I know it's chocolate, but in, yeah. the, in the performance, you don't say that it's chocolate. No, that's true. And I'm wondering, like, why, what, what is funny to you about that kind of, like, toilet humor? And whether or not that lets you actually get to a place that's more disarming or more unsettling? Um, well, it's sort of twofold. Like, I... I well, threefold. It's it's funny because it's just uh, I think the stupidest, the, the stupider, the more stupid, um, the funnier it is. Like I just like stupid. And then um, the second part of it is um, comedy is inherently like embarrassing, <laughs> and so it's like. Well, if I'm going to do a quote-unquote bit or if I'm going to do a quote-unquote joke, I might as well lean all the way into it and go full stupid and disgusting. And then the third part was I, I, I was having such a hard time figuring out what to do in between the sketches and, like, setting them up. And, like, um, I knew that I wanted to speak as myself to have transitions from sketch to sketch 
but um, I find speaking to camera as myself to be so degrading (laughs) (laughs) that I was like, uh, like, oh, well then smearing, look, making it look like I have shit smeared on my face, like that just amplifies this feeling that I'm already feeling and makes it a choice rather than um, something I'm trying to hide. So doing that was really leaning into like the like humiliation of speaking to camera. It's interesting. Because yeah. In my sketches when I'm just performing by myself, I at least know that I'm going to edit it and it's a scripted piece mm-hmm. that is like I'm a character talking to another character. But when I'm talking when I'm myself talking to camera, that feels so stupid. It feels so humiliating. <laughs> So it's not a problem to be a baby in a diaper in a bathtub talking right. to camera, but right. somehow just showing up as Cola Scola and talking to camera is like a yeah. bridge too far. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, really uncomfortable. So it seemed to me like Help I'm Stuck came out of our conditions of quarantine and mm-hmm. we're, we're still living under those conditions. And I'm wondering if you feel an impetus to create if you feel inspired right now, or if it's difficult for you as a performer to be without the immediate feedback of a live audience? Well, that's where like my um, performing history comes in handy because I, um, I've been making videos alone in my bedroom since I was 11. And then like even professionally, Jeffrey and Cole Casserole and, um, and then even my live shows, it's just me on stage with, wigs and costumes but um before the quarantine started i really wanted to do a special that the the help i'm stuck is basically this live show that i've been doing for the past year and a half but no one really wanted it (laughs) and also i was having artistically i was having trouble figuring out how i would even do it with a budget because you because it, it just when I do the show live, it's me on stage naked, putting on wigs and costumes by myself, talking to someone who's reading into a microphone off stage. Like it's very lo-fi, and that's part of that really sets the stakes for mm-hmm. like what the and sets the tone for what the show is. And with a budget, like if there was like an HBO special and I was like in a theater with a budget, it would just sort of change the tone completely so i guess i'm a a a pandemic profiteer (laughs) i saw this and i i thought you know what actually this is the perfect scenario for my special but you're still waiting for that call from hbo no i'm actually like i i'm so happy with how the special turned out and um i'm really it's the most proud i've ever been of anything that i've done what are you gonna do next I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't really feel creative right now. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. These are fucked yeah. up times. They kind of are. Yeah. 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 But that's why, that's why Help I'm Stuck is, that's why I watched it. Because these are mm-hmm. fucked up times and it's so funny. And it's just like kind of a pleasure to parachute out of this absurd reality mm-hmm. into your absurd reality. Thanks. I mean, that was 
God, like, I'm not one of those artists who's who's like, art is so important. Like, we need, like, we need to laugh now more than ever. But um, it's like one of the only skills I have. So, <laughs> like, it's the least I can do. And in, in in on top of doing, you know, the other things that we all have to do and should be doing, but it's what you did during the war. It's what I did during the war. Yeah. I entertained the troops, yeah. USO. <laughs> Cole, this was so great. I'm really, really happy that you were able to join us. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for asking me. And um, yeah, I just loved it. if you are burnt out. If email is something that gives you like a shiver in your spine. You are not alone. I'm Shirley Leung, host of Say More from the Boston Globe. Our new series is Beating Burnout. We'll hear from Cal Newport, Krista Tibbet, and more. We'll talk about breaking bad habits and forming new ones. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Say more from the Boston Globe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Ramon, I loved many, many things about this interview. Cola Scola is clearly a stone-cold genius. But one thing that stood out to me was just how gay that conversation was. I was very taken with his expression of gay sensibility as stemming, at least in part, from growing up having to be hyper-aware of social conventions. That's useful when it comes to writing sketches where you have to nail a mood or a situation with the vaguest flicker of an eyelid or a slightly askew wig. There's no reason or no accounting for why some of his sketches are so funny. Like, in there are many where he's not even performing a joke and simply mimicking the conventions of something like a sitcom or a commercial, and it's just so effective. And what you're talking about, the ways in which that's a gay sensibility, is something that I've heard many thinkers point out, like the idea that the Black writer is the ultimate authority on whiteness by virtue of a life lived inside of a context of difference. And I think it's really apt and a genuine consequence of growing up gay for Cole. It's He's just so funny, but there's a real bite to a lot of what he's talking about and a lot of what he's satirizing. Yeah. Another thing that really resonated with me was his description of how his early comedic projects were really all about play, something he and his friends did just for fun. It wasn't work. This was fun. And that's a great well to tap. And it can be very generative. Like, I just want to do something completely different. I just want to have fun. And, you know, you can really create something amazing out of that. But it's hard to hold on to that when the thing that you used to do for fun becomes the thing that you do to pay the rent. Um, Did you go through anything like that when novelist became the first adjective in your bio? I think what you're getting at is that there are ways in which art can be a job, but also something else. And I think we usually reach for a word like calling, Mm -hmm. but but I'm not sure that exactly gets at it. Like when I was a little kid, I wrote mystery novels when I was (laughs) eight years old, you know, and Cole put on sketches and videotaped them. We both ended up doing pretty much the same thing with our adulthood, but of course there are plenty of kids who paint or do ballet or, you know, live and die for soccer, but don't carry that passion into adulthood. But sometimes you do. But of course, you know, it's not just fooling around. I mean, 
Cole talked about spending weeks shooting the special in isolation in his apartment in Brooklyn. That's a real commitment of time and effort. And I know it's quarantine and we don't have anything better to do, but, you know, he could have just been eating bonbons and watching television. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of hard work and there's also a talent. Maybe that's what makes a difference between, uh, you know, putting on sketches like a lot of kids do or writing mystery levels like a lot of kids do and doing it for real is that actually there's uh, just a true talent that, you know, is again, that just that weirdness that makes you look at it instead of look away. Even when, if you described it to me, you described a guy, a, a very attractive guy who shows up with stuff smeared on his face and is kind of touching himself in strange ways. Like I would think, oh, I don't want to see that. But when there is this incredibly charismatic, incredibly talented person doing it, you're like, please let me look at that smear. (laughs) (laughs) I mentioned this in my conversation with Cole, but one of the most, um, it's like a personal, it's like a weird, very specific, weird personal bugaboo, but I'm very disturbed by adults dressed as babies. <laughs> and Cole has a really funny skit where he's dressed as a baby and sort of talking like a Tennessee Williams heroine. <laughs> and it's so discomforting to me because I just think like adults dressed as babies are very specifically unsettling to me. But <laughs> somehow I would watch him do even that because he's just a good, he does it with conviction. Exactly. I, Bet New Year's must be such a, a traumatic evening for you. With yes, all those you know, adult yeah. babies dressed around. <laughs> um, another thing that I really admire about his work is the fearlessness that seems to really be central to his persona. That comes out in a lot of ways. His willingness to play really out there characters like Matthew on Difficult People, which is a role that I'm sure a lot of actors would have shied away from, but he, again, really lent into it, or just really making art for people who are operating on his wavelength. I mean, that's a really ballsy artistic choice, and it's not necessarily the obvious path to riches. It's true. He, I think Cole is a very modest person, a very modest professional, Um I think that his fearlessness is something that he doesn't want to talk about because it's not the primary intention of the work. Mm-hmm. And I think that artists, you know, artists should be granted that. They they don't need to say this is the main idea. The audience can look at it and say, okay, what am I learning here? Yeah. Cole's also a great singer. And there's really great performance of him singing the immortal share classic Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves <laughs> at Joe's Pub, which he performs in his underwear and you know Cole he's very skinny and sort of he's very sort of petite and there's something really disarming about seeing a young guy with this kind of gawky adolescent sort of physique singing this very weird song by Cher and singing it in his underwear with absolute heartfelt conviction we picked up this boy just south of Mobile Gave him a ride, filled him with a hot meal. I was 16, he was 21. He rode with us to Memphis. And Papa would have shot him if he knew what he done. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. We heard it from the people of the town. They called us. The fact of his being in his underwear is absolutely an aspect of the performance. 
even though I do believe that he might have just needed to make a costume change, <laughs> the fact of his almost nudity really informs that performance in a pretty startling way. I never had school, but he taught me well with his smooth southern style. Well, Cole Scola found a way to be productive during the quarantine. That's, as we learned in the interview, where he recorded Help, I'm Stuck. Um, have you been writing? Have you been productive during these weird times? My work is so much easier than Cole's. I don't have to wield a camera or put on a wig or put on makeup or, you know, figure out what the background is going to look like. And at any rate, I have mostly embraced a whole new medium, which oh. is laundry. Uh, My husband and I have two kids, but I I have a feeling that there's secretly a family of six living in the basement, (laughs) sort of like parasite style. And somehow they have convinced me to do their wash for them because that's basically all I've done for the past six or seven weeks. Well, if we're lucky, you'll solve that mystery in a novel someday. So then we'll all benefit. Listeners, if you enjoy this show, please consider signing up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence, and you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working and elsewhere at the magazine. It's only $35 for the first year, and you can get a free two-week trial now at slate.com slash working plus. Thank you so much to Cole Escola for being our guest this week. And enormous thanks, as always, to our producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week for a conversation between Isaac Butler and writer Mira Jacob. Until then, get back to work. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.